Welcome back, everybody, to this edition of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will recap Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then give you a preview of the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and our own special brand of analysis. Steve, we're back here again for another episode of the Team Blaney podcast, fresh off the race at Phoenix Raceway. I almost said Phoenix, Phoenix International Raceway, but I think it's just Phoenix Raceway now, ISM Raceway, I don't know, Alphabet Soup Raceway at this point, but... Um, Another decent weekend for Ryan Blaney, but just overall, what was your impressions of the racing this past weekend? Overall, the the racing was actually pretty good there. Of course, they talked about the number of passes that everybody had, uh, a lot of good passing, um, especially for the lead a bunch of different times. Uh, The restarts were crazy. I heard a couple times going into two, I heard bottom of three, bottom of four bottom of five and i was like what <laughs> that's crazy bottom of five in a turn but they they uh they definitely did the like we talked about last week fanning out on the restarts and and that dog leg and then getting back together going in one and two and uh really didn't hit each other as much as i thought they might doing that uh, it was scary looking but uh, the actual racing once they even got through the restarts and spread out um, the cars that were the better cars made their moves and they were able to pass somebody. They didn't get stuck in the, in the, in the dirty air behind somebody. They, you know, if they were the better car, they made their move and made the the pass. So uh, I thought the racing was pretty clean otherwise because of that. It's one of those tracks that when they show the aerial coverage from the blimp or uh, drone or whatever they use with Fox, it's such a weird looking track now since they reconfigured it because they put the grandstands uh, down into that area that's kind of that action area where everybody fans out into in that dog leg so it, you're kind of on one end of this kind of tri-oval essentially and it just looks different from every other track but you can see why because like i said that's where all the action happens on the track that's where a lot of the passing happens the restarts are crazy and this weekend the restarts were crazy from the get-go I was talking to you a little bit earlier before we pressed the record button, just saying from the first start of the race, Brad Keselowski, if he had a side mirror on his driver's side, it would have been clipped off within 10 seconds because he, on every restart that he started uh, from the inside, was diving all the way down almost to where that pit wall was and then back up onto the track. He was probably the furthest down there of anybody, and I think that might take a lot of guts to do that. Yeah, they made a comment on the, on the broadcast about uh, he must have been thinking about doing that all week. Like he had the plan in mind that he was going to give that a shot. And uh, any time he got the inside uh, line to start the, a restart, he, he definitely went down there and checked it out. So interesting overall. It did, um, it did seem like most of the action was really just stuck with the restarts throughout the race, but there was enough of them to keep things interesting. It was um, also interesting watching guys trying to make passes throughout the race as tires began to fall off or guys would be able to get side by side with somebody. But if you didn't execute that pass perfectly, there was a decent chance that you were going to get two or three people passing you on the outside. If you tried to dive down and didn't complete the slide job. So I think it kept things exciting throughout the race. Overall, it was a good race weekend for Ryan Blaney. So I think it's about time to recap this race at Phoenix raceway. Ryan Blaney race recap Phoenix raceway. 
All right. Race number five so far this year. Um, Phoenix, 312 laps. Stages were at 75, 190, and uh, 312. Uh, competition caution at lap 30. Uh, to the rear, this was interesting. Uh, a couple cars failed inspection on, uh, they did the inspection on Saturday. Larson and Byron, Ware and Smithley. And then on Sunday, Elliott had to go to the rear also um, for unapproved adjustments. And from what I understood, they, it was something to do with the side skirt. So once again, they're still trying to work in that gray area and figure that out. Um, it didn't seem to hurt those cars as the race went on. Uh, they, they moved their way up pretty good. And uh, PJ1, which is something that we'll talk about, I'm sure, as the race goes on, PJ1 helped a lot of cars put at least two tires up into it and make some of those passes or diamond the corners at least so they could, they could run faster. During the pre-race, uh, Ryan uh, makes a comment about the pit stall and uh, how they have a nice pit stall today, which uh, definitely ends up showing how good the pit crew is because these past weeks they've had that bad pit position and had to worry about pitting around and somebody coming around them in front of them, cutting them off and changing their angle and trying to go out and around somebody. And this week it was always easy in easy out. And uh, they gained a spot once in a while. They may have lost a spot once in a while, but green flake pit stops were really good though. With the cars that went to the rear, he ends up starting what would technically be fourth. And uh, basically after about six, seven laps, he's all the way up to, to third place. Now he's struggling a little bit. They're trying to run two tires in the compound. And this, this is something during the race that they talk about a lot on the, on the broadcast. Uh, they, you know, they put down the PJ1 and they were trying to help the racing in a higher groove. And uh, some of the faster cars were able to use that to their, their advantage diamond the corners a little bit put their tires up in there and then you know gain that momentum coming off they lose a little on the throttle he says here but uh pretty much him, him and the uh the, the two were the fastest cars in the first uh, 30 laps there so uh they get to the competition caution and he says he's loose at about a one which uh you know doesn't sound like much once again on, on their scale that they use uh center turn was really good they make small air pressure adjustments they went in third on the pits and came out third on the pits. So once again, you know, right up there with the teams that are around him. And uh, uh, Larson's too fast at this point, so he starts to the back again. The choose cone, he chooses the low lane, you know, which puts him up to second on the restart there. So uh, on lap 44, he takes the lead. 30 more laps, uh, and then there was a caution at lap 47 for Bowman. And uh, Ryan used the term squirmy, which, <laughs> you know, a little bit vague there but a little squirmy so that is some new terminology that definitely him and todd must be working on to to tell todd uh, exactly what it's doing there yeah and uh, the, the tv folks picked up on that too when they were talking about him and you were saying it was interesting before that competition caution he said he was a one loose and as you watched him go throughout this race you kind of saw that one loose turned into this squirmy where especially when he was being passed on the inside and he's still trying to hang tough on the outside in the pj1 you would see it as soon as they would kind of get to that uh toward the end of the the turn he would get i guess a good way to describe it is squirmy it would just it wasn't like a total snap loose it was kind of like a shake back and forth um, to where luckily he was able to save it from hitting the wall. I don't know if he ever actually ended up hitting the wall at all throughout the day, but mm -hmm. I think squirmy or swarmy or whatever. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a pretty good uh, term for what I would say Ryan was. And yeah. it didn't exactly improve throughout the day after that. No. Um, so this pit uh, pitting, uh, they don't pit at this point, basically they stay out. They only had a couple laps on the tires 
um, and 16 cars stayed out behind them. So they had a good buffer too for anybody with tires that may have been coming. Uh, Choose Coney chose the inside with the 22 behind him. And basically it was the, you know, the, the 12, the two and the 22 there at one point after that restart with 10 to go, uh, the 22, oh, with 10 to go, the 22 made up to second place. So the 22 was coming at him. And of course we know this by the end of the stage that, uh, Logano did make it kind of close and kind of made a little hairy there, but, uh, Ryan wins stage one, his first stage one of the season. Yeah, and that's a big moment, obviously, last week with that top five finish and points throughout uh, the stages and every stage of the race. Last week comes into this stage, or the first stage of the race at Phoenix. I wouldn't necessarily say dominates because his Penske teammates kept it close throughout the entire stage. But I was really impressed. I thought, you know, Logano was closing, and I'm like, oh, he's just going to get him and pass him because Logano was so good at this track, uh, having won the last couple of spring races here that I thought it was kind of a sure thing. I'm like, it's going to get down to the last lap. He's going to be able to get side by side and pass him. But Ryan, as I said, hung tough up there on the outside is anytime someone tried to pass him a little bit there, it would take them a couple of laps. So I was impressed, excited for this stage win, a stage point already. And I think that's something to build on going through the rest of the season. And they really overall need to pick up more of those to be in better position in the playoffs. Yeah, those extra points uh, do add up when it comes time to the end of uh, an end of a round of the playoffs, and you need that little extra boost over somebody. Um, so they get to the the caution there at the end of the stage, and uh, he says he's lost the center turn a little bit, and they do some air pressure adjusting there too. Um, and this is something I wanted to wanted to talk about with you for a second, really, because uh, they did mention it on TV and talk about um, adjusting everybody's adjusting the car versus the track and versus the other cars. So even if you're the leader, even if you've led 50 laps, a hundred laps at some point and checked out a little bit, you still need to improve your car. You still need to figure it out because the guys who are running in the top five or 10 behind you are going to make adjustments also. And if they make an adjustment that is two tenths of a lap faster, which doesn't sound like much, but it's in five laps, it makes up a second you know, it's worth doing. So if everybody else around you is, is trying to improve your car, you need to improve your car too. And they did talk about it on the broadcast a little bit. And I think Boyer, Gordon, Gordon actually is the one who mentioned it. And it's something that we talk about already this season. We'll be talking about in weeks to come. He's given the feedback and they're trying to do something because even though we won a stage, winning stage two or winning the race is still, you're still gonna have to improve your car and do something to get up there. Yeah. I think you need to do something. And honestly, you saw this during the rest of the race when Joey Logano got into the lead eventually and did check out a little bit. And they talked about that. Then he did one of the next pit stops that he had made. They started to make adjustments on the cars and they brought that point up again. Like, Oh, even though he's leading, they still thought that they could improve something. And I mean, with racing, the improvements, you think you're going to improve it. It can go either way. Um, If you roll the dice and it it works, um, that's great. But I know there's definitely some drivers that probably are like, no, this thing's perfect right now. But we already talked about it. Ryan said he was a tick loose already in the the early stages. And he said he was squirmy or whatever, (laughs) a little bit later on, whatever Mm -hmm. that, that term means for them. So it wasn't a perfect car at that point. They still were able to win the stage. But I think you still have to adjust to that, especially with this this whole PJ1 situation with this the, that they put down on the track, which I actually did kind of want to get your thoughts on that overall, because 
what I feel like the PJ1's done at Phoenix, it has made restarts kind of exciting. But they went from having one groove on the track, and they're trying to fix this by adding the PJ1 to have a second groove. But then if you watch the Xfinity race specifically, it was almost like now that all they did was really just move the groove up. And sometimes guys could make a dive bomb or, a, you know, a slide job pass. But still, the, the bottom groove really wasn't that good. Do you feel like that this improved the racing at Phoenix or do you feel like it almost just kind of shifted the groove up higher? Yeah, I kind of wish that they would just PJ1 the whole thing. Just go ahead and do a whole bunch of it. What the heck? Let's give everybody some grip and see what happens, you know? It, 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 the thing about it is no matter what you do, everybody's on the same playing field. Um, I understand trying to create a little higher lane because you're trying to see who can operate up there. Um, but after a while, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like, I don't know, just didn't seem like it helped enough uh, for enough of the guys. But it, it did make it better, just not, you know, it's better than it's been. Let's put it that way. So yeah. it did something right. And it's weird. It has like a lifespan and Kevin Harvick before this race was asked about it. And he had said, there's no science behind it. He doesn't seem like a guy that's a fan of it. He's like, there's no science behind it. They don't really know how much grip they're putting down or they're not putting down or how much of it they really put on. They don't know. So he kind of was dismissive about it. Denny Hamlin is one of those guys that I think is still not the biggest fan, but he's gotten really involved in it. That when they, these tracks actually go to put this application down, They've talked to some drivers about what their thoughts are on one where it should be on the track and how much and how wide that they put it. Um, I do like that idea. Let's just put the put it on the whole track. That's kind of interesting. But what you did see is that at the end of the race, it's at the end of this race and also the end of the Xfinity race, it gets really dirty at the top. So early on, I wouldn't even say early on, maybe toward the middle of the race, once it kind of gets run in a little bit, almost kind of like, building in a cushion or something on a dirt track it has it's like a sweet spot but then right at the end of that race any guys that were getting up too high and we saw it several of them start slamming into the wall so it's kind of this yeah. dance that you like, have to do it becomes like a roller uh for lint roller it <laughs> yes it, it, it picks it, it all picks, up it picks it all up and then then it's then it's worthless after that so yeah that's the only problem with it is after a while it becomes marbles because of all the rubber up in it and it just yeah um yeah they excuse me there they uh start the uh second uh they they pit here and start second uh logano actually passes on the pit cycle there so um they do the choose cone and go high um we end up with a uh caution lap 15 laps into the stage um they stay out once again he uses the term squirmy (laughs) uh they uh the choose cone here they once again they, they go uh high because uh logano goes low and um he says he's better uh he says the 22 is better in three and four than me so he's asking about feedback on you know what logano has been doing to operate better you know uh looser in the run uh with 70 to go in in the stage and um, they fade a little bit here at this point so uh, larson ends up passing him he ends up third um they make an adjustment on the next green flag stop, actually, I guess, to do something with a stagger a little bit and um, put the track bar down a little bit. So they, they end up third on the pit cycle. So they didn't lose any ground on the pit cycle itself. Um, let's see, they lose uh, the 20, 19 passes. 
And uh, then he starts talking about being twitchy on entry. And uh, so they may take away the stagger, which they do end up doing later in the race. Uh, the six, with six to go in the stage, the 11 passes in and fourth there. And then the two passes him on the last lap of the stage. So he ends up fifth, uh, which is actually another good stage finish. Uh, great stage points and something that didn't happen the first two, three weeks of the year. So uh, starting to build up some points now and move up in the standings just based on stage uh, points. Yeah, and that was a little bit of an intense battle between him and Brad Keselowski. Keselowski kind of caught up pretty quick, but then it was another example of, like I was saying, Ryan hanging tough on the outside, trying to keep that track position up there, trying to keep the momentum rolling off the top side, but and they, they cut away from it, which I can understand why, to show who won the stage, but they cut away from that battle, and then it's like, I was just kind of waiting, like, so did he get past him? Did he get past him? And then finally see, yes, he finished, he ended up finishing fifth in that stage. But again, Big picture talking, not necessarily as far as being excited about him having the chance to win this race, but big picture, another top five in a stage, um, second week in a row where he's been able to do that, gathering some more stage points and some more momentum moving forward. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what? I did want to mention, we go back to the end of stage one. He got the uh, interview that they do for the stage winner. And did I or did I not hear uh, Clint Boyer say, hey, bullet? Yeah, that's one of those things. I think I did catch that and... I know people have toyed with the idea in the past of someone calling him Little Bullet or Little Bullet or something, and Ryan's kind of, it seemed like he's shied away from that a, a little bit. And um, I can understand I like, why. I, I mean, like, he, the I whole, like Son of a Bullet. Yeah, oh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> son of a Bullet's kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, the whole bullet thing just comes from Buckeye Bullet, and um, Ryan mostly grew up in North Carolina. One thing that I do like that's been happening recently is that when anytime it seems like he does the the driver intros or they they have it where you know you say where you're from on the screen and specifically on MRN on the radio when he says where he's from he says Hartford Hartford Ohio and I always smile when when he says that so um, I think that's just another example of him really appreciating his roots and the the Blaney family roots up there in Hartford in that neck of the woods so I smile every time I hear that on the radio or I see him say it or I see it in a press release or anything. I don't know. It just seems mm-hmm. uh, seems kind of cool to me. Um, they uh, the they pit here at the end of the stage too, and uh, he talks about being a, a twitchy feel. Um, but I guess another new term there. Um, they take some air out of the rear, and uh, he goes in fifth, but comes out fourth. So they actually gain a, gain a position on pit road there. Um, the choose cone for stage three chooses high, and it sorts out to being up to up to. Um, fourth after about two laps because um, the restarts it's really hard to say okay he started third or fourth on the restart but until it sorts out after about two or three laps of being four wide going into a turn um it's it's kind of it was kind of hard to tell you know where they really were until they until they got through the dog leg a couple times you know until they sorted each other out a little bit um as the stage goes on uh, the 19 ends up passing uh and the two passes him, so he ends up like back to fifth. Uh, the five ends up coming through, and uh, he ends up back in sixth at this point. And at that point, Truex also takes the lead. So once again, we were talking about guys who improved their cars as the day went on. You know, Truex hit the wall during the first uh, stage, uh, actually as Ryan was passing him. And here we are this late in the race, and he's found his way up there because they made some improvements um, not just repairs, but made improvements to the way the car was operating, and, and uh, Truex was able to get it right up there and take the lead. 
Now that's what I've one of the hallmarks I would say of a championship team. And Truex is a championship driver, though he's a few years removed at this point. But um, now Hamlin hasn't won a championship, but he's another one of those guys that can get penalized for speeding and drive back right back up through the field again. Truex in this race, like you said, hit the wall, and his crew chief James Small they said was wasn't really unsure what to do, whether they should take all that time to try and fix this damage early on in the race, and they did. They went and sat on pit road for a long time, lost all of their track position, went to the back of the field. Truex was able to move back through the field. They made some more adjustments and obviously went on to have some uh, pretty uh, large amount of success in there. So I think that's something, the only time I can really think about that happening, I mean, Ryan's done that and come back to have a, a pretty decent performance, but that win that he had at Talladega, uh, one of the wins that he had at Talladega, he spun going mm -hmm. into pit road mm -hmm. and lost a ton of track position. Now, luckily that happened at a place like Talladega where you can make that up. So what I would like to see in the future from this 12 team with Todd Gordon and Ryan Blaney is have some of that adversity in a race that they are able to repair or make adjustments and come back from and get a solid finish. And I think they're definitely capable of that, but that's one thing that I noticed year after year is the hallmark of a championship team is to be able to kind of battle that adversity in a race and then put everything back together and either go out and win the race, the whole, you know, the spin and win. I mean, Ryan did that once, but um, I think it's just really, really important and something that we need to see from them going forward. Uh, with about uh, 80 to go, um, he says that the drive off is bad and it's loose in and, um, with about 70 to go, uh, the 20 end up passing Ryan for, so Ryan's down to seventh now, and he's complaining about a chatter in the front. Now, on the broadcast, they kind of explain this a little bit, that the chatter could be from the, the brakes um, not heating up as much as normal, the brakes and the rotors. Um, the cars that are operating a little better, it's, it's a weird little di dilemma. If you're operating a little better and you don't need to use as much of your brakes as somebody else, they're not heating up as much, and... Um, those cold brakes, I guess, were giving a little bit of a chatter to the front end. So the car is operating actually better than you think, even though you're getting that kind of uh, weird feeling in the front end. Um, and the next uh, pit stop, basically, they're going back on all their changes. So uh, with 64 to go, they're, they're back to ninth. Uh, the four and the 23 at that point actually makes a pass. Um, and they pit on the next lap, basically, uh, in on ninth in the cycle and come out eighth. So the pit cycle worked pretty good. But once again, like I said, 10, 15, 20 cars all, all pitting, all making adjustments. And to get from 12.5 back up there, you've got to be four or five tenths faster than the leaders. And, you know, they weren't necessarily that, but they were within about two tenths of the leaders. You know, most of the race, they were within two tenths, this direction, that direction, ran some of the faster laps of most of the cars out there. Um, with 51 to go, there's a caution and, uh, there's twitchy here, not as free as the last cycle pitted in, in eighth, uh, and put, uh, put the changes back at this point and came out eighth. The 22 took the lead on the stops there and with the choose cone, they went low. Now this is where, like I said, these, these restarts got pretty hairy. Um, the 23 stayed out cause he had only had like six, seven laps on his tires. Um, and, uh, it really didn't behoove him to, to pit and lose all that position. So he was going to try to hang on to some position. Um, that restart didn't, didn't go very good though. Um, like I said, uh, it's fun to listen to Josh, uh, spotting because he, 
does not do anything alarming as he's as he's talking. And he, like I said earlier, he was the voice I heard go, bottom of three, bottom of three, bottom of four, bottom of four, bottom of five. And I was just, just like, well, the TV didn't show it real, real well. They went back to a replay later and you saw it. Um, yeah, five wide coming out of two on a restart. Um, gets a little bit hard sometimes to get to position because it's a game of chicken at that point. Uh, who's who's going to lift, you know? Yeah, that was that one of the restarts where I remember texting you specifically. That did not go well. <laughs> and I, we talked a little bit earlier, I think, offline about some of these restarts and saying, you know, Ryan, you know, the first restart of the race, you know, he started from the fourth, I think, fourth position. So when you're kind of up front or if you're up front and on the outside at least – you're going to, for Ryan at least throughout the, the early stages of the race, did really well on these restarts. But once he kind of got back into that, you know, fifth, sixth position, you're back in the pack a little bit more. Sometimes you end up in the middle of guys going to your outside and inside. And that's pretty much what happened there with this one of these late race restarts for Ryan. Um, caution with 30 to go. And uh, they go into the pits 11th, come out 11th. 22, once again, takes the lead off pit road, but uh, he ends up losing that. So with uh, 20 to go, he's 11th. He passes the 10 for 10th. Of course, uh, Martin uh, Truex wins the race and uh, Ryan ends up P10. And, uh, you know, what's interesting here is uh, I found the post-race quote that they do basically, and sometimes they put it out on the internet too, so that you could read it like on an Instagram or something like that. And uh, basically he said here, here's what, if I want to quote exactly, it says, toward the end of the day, I think the track kind of changed on us and we lost some speed. We were fighting stuff that we weren't fighting at the beginning and other guys came to life and we were kind of chasing ours a little bit. It wasn't for lack of effort. We tried a bunch of stuff and tried to get ahead of the track and just couldn't quite get there. So for how much speed we lost throughout the day, just, uh, track changing, running 10th. I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of Todd and everybody for sticking with it all day and good stage points for sure. And not a bad finish either. We can take from this that they're moving forward and uh, they're improving. And they're definitely working with equipment that is top top 10, top five and, and winning equipment. And it's just that right adjustment at the right time now is all they're looking for. I think the thing you have to realize is that it would be great to finish in the top five every race. And I know just as Blaney fans, we've talked about this in the past before. We've been really spoiled with uh, the way that Ryan's been running throughout his career. So when you do, you are a little bit disappointed, like, ah, it's only a tenth. And you kind of, I think you have, as a fan, sometimes you need to snap out of that. Oh, you're forgetting. You might just only remember the finish there. You know, we talked about, you know, people on social media, like saying, ah, what a, you know, what a disaster, a terrible race, that kind of stuff. But you look back at that, oh, you're forgetting that, you know, he was dominant in the first stage, wins stage one, has a pretty decent stage two, finishes fifth, ends up finishing in the race in tenth while he's like, they're struggling with the handling of the car just a little bit. There's plenty of positives to come out of this, especially with all those points. We were talking in the first couple episodes of this podcast after the first few races when it was probably would have been really easy to be in a more of a doom and gloom mentality. This 12 team was in a hole. They've dug themselves out of this hole. If they win a race, which obviously is the goal for everybody um, as fans of Ryan Blaney and also for this number 12 team, Penske team, they're right back into this thing. <laughs> it's really easy to see. So they're only a few points out of, I think, even 10th place in the points. He's moved up into uh, 13th at this point. And in the projected playoff standings, he's in 12th right now. 
So even with the number of guys that have run race or uh, won races so far, Ryan's still in pretty good shot for the playoffs right now, just to point his way in. But obviously, we're looking for bigger and better things throughout the rest of the season. But these are definitely signs of improvement for this race team, which is what they've wanted for sure all along. And uh, we'll be moving on this week to uh, another track that they're pretty decent at. But Phoenix-wise, um, he has an average finish there of around 15th in his uh, 11 starts. And he finishes 10th there, so he bests his average finish and tallies his sixth top 10 at Phoenix. So I see a lot of positives coming out of this weekend. And it also sets them up for next week for a better starting position and better better pit selection next week also. So uh, from what I saw last night, uh, Pacross was actually doing the math while sitting at the airport, and uh, he had him starting 10th. So, you know, once again, 10th, a uh, mile and a half track coming up. These are all things that are they're positive that uh, we know that they can get to the front pretty quick. And, uh, you know, barring anything weird, they're already in, you know, in for stage points next week right off the bat. All right. So that's our second race in a row where Ryan Blaney's had a pretty successful week, finishing 10th at Phoenix Raceway. And now that we're done with that race recap, I think it's about time for me to go ahead and break out my NASCAR record book. And we could take a look at some of the highlights from the history of NASCAR. This week in NASCAR history. So first up, this week in NASCAR history, March 20th, 1966, sophomore driver Dick Hutcherson steers clear of a rash of crashes and wins the Southeastern 500 at Bristol by four laps. Only seven cars in the starting field of 32 are able to finish the race. Oh, that's old school there. Uh, <laughs> Bristol, just crashing them up. Crashing them up and very old school just in the fact, and I've said this before, I don't want to be a hater on on the old school era of nascar but again can you imagine if martin truex won this race at phoenix by four laps that jeff gluck was this a good race poll would be <laughs> at, its, <laughs> at its lowest ever so can you imagine that march 20th 1966 dick husherson hutcherson wins the southeastern 500 at bristol moving along we're going to march 16th 1980 sophomore driver dale earnhardt fends off a pesky rusty wallace to score his first super speedway victory in the atlanta 500 now they're calling atlanta super speedway so i guess that's up for debate at this point earnhardt comes from the 31st starting position to beat wallace by 9.55 seconds wallace was making his nascar winston cup grand national debut in a chevrolet owned by roger penske and March 17th, 1985, driving with a broken leg suffered in a crash at Rockingham, Bill Elliott outruns Jeff Bodine by 2.64 seconds to win the Coca-Cola 500 at Atlanta. Elliott wins two of the first four races of the year, but ranks a distant fifth in the point standings. Now you talk about guys being tough. Ricky Rudd running a race where he taped his eyes open. Daryl Waltrip running a race where after uh, after a really bad crash that... You know, he had broken ribs and various things. Bill Elliott running this race with a broken leg. I know most recently Denny Hamlin's run a race with like a broken ankle or something before. It's not one of those things you want guys to do, but it really shows you, um, especially even in just in this era, in that era too, where every point mattered in the year. They didn't have as many bonus points and stage points as things. So getting in a race car with a broken leg. Can you imagine that? I can't even imagine driving my regular car to work with a broken leg. I, I drive for a living during the day, and my uh, my left knee hurts, and it and it bothers me half the day trying to drive. And I don't even use that leg for the driving. Uh, yeah, it 
it's it's amazing what they can do. Yeah, and that's not that's with no G forces. Um, I don't know if you drive a standard truck or not, but in this case, these guys, you know, they're using a clutch. Sometimes they're using their left foot for braking and everything too. So uh, that that uh, especially in that era too, when technology wasn't as advanced, can't imagine that. I wouldn't say I wouldn't have any G forces. <laughs> Depending on how you drive, yeah, that's true. I don't know. Your truck might have one of those little meters on it where you have to drive the speed limit or you get in trouble. So let's go to the 1990s now. March 20th, 1993, Morgan Shepard takes a lead with 12 laps remaining to win the Motorcraft Quality Parts 500 at Atlanta, an event postponed six days due to a blizzard. It is Shepard's fourth win of his NASCAR Cup Series career, three of which had come at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So Morgan Shepard's one of those guys that if you wow. if you came into NASCAR racing, you know, within the last 20 years, all you really know about is him kind of running that team in the Xfinity series. And I think even early on when I was a, becoming a fan of NASCAR, he was in the Cup series in one of those more start and park type situations. People forget that Morgan Shepard Morgan Shepherd was one heck of a Cup series driver back in the day. And obviously very, very good at Atlanta at that point. But a blizzard now you've experienced a race being postponed by a blizzard in the past. Is that correct? We drove all the way to Martinsville and got down there and yeah, there was like six, eight inches of snow. And, and by the after late afternoon, it had melted and they raced the next day. So it didn't delay them for six days, but uh, yeah, uh, it can hit, it can hit any time, you know, and uh, this time of year, this is, you know, we can see, we've seen snow in July or not July in June here in, in Ohio. So <laughs> Anything can happen. So now hear me out. Bristol's going about all the trouble to throw dirt down on their track. Why not Martinsville? Just embrace Mother Nature. Let's put some snow tires on these cup cars and let's let's, let's uh, run a race at Martinsville in the snow. What do you think? It's free. It, it, Snow's it, free. It, it, snow's free. Yeah, they can they can ship that in. <laughs> get get some uh, those machines from the ski resorts and just put it out there. All right, finally, the last date here this week in NASCAR history, March 19th, 2000. Ward Burton ends a five-year victory famine with a win in the Mail.com 400 at Darlington Raceway. Burton leads the final 37 laps and finishes 1.4 seconds ahead of Dale Jarrett to take his second career win. Good old Ward Burton, who has had a bit of a resurgence recently on social media and some of the outdoor uh, content that he puts out there, but also he has a son... Jeb Burton, that he had a little bit of trouble this past week at Phoenix with a uh, kind of a crash toward the last laps, but Jeb Burton really turning some heads in that colleague racing equipment in the Xfinity series and making his dad, who's a former Daytona 500 champion, pretty proud, I would say. So that wraps up this week's edition of This Week in NASCAR History. Tune in again next week for some more interesting tidbits from throughout the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend preview atlanta motor speedway all right steve the nascar cup series takes its show back to the east coast we're headed to atlanta motor speedway the site of the folds of honor quick trip 500 on sunday march 21st you can tune in at 3 p.m eastern time on fox the radio is on prn this week instead of mrn but you can hear all of that coverage as well on sirius xm nascar radio Atlanta Motor Speedway, a race that Ryan runs pretty well at, and we're looking at stages in this race. It's a total of 500.5 miles, but stage breaks come at lap 105, 210, 
and 325. Now, career-wise, if you're looking at some statistics for Ryan Blaney, he has five starts at Atlanta Motor Speedway, one top five, one top ten, an average start of 19.2, and an average finish of 16.2. But I feel like this is one of those tracks that Ryan tends to run really well at. He just hasn't really been able to seal the deal outside of the last race here coming in 2020 where he did finish fourth. So there is some positive momentum there. It's just some of his previous races there going back to 2016, he finished 25th, 2017, he finished 18th, 2018, he finished 12th, 2019, he finished 22nd. And then again, that lone race at Atlanta last year that was actually postponed because that was the race that everybody was at in Atlanta when the pandemic shutdown happened. So they went back there a little bit later on in the year brings it home in the fourth position. So what are your thoughts on this number 12 team going into Atlanta this weekend? Well, this, this is good. Uh, you know, like we just said in the last segment about the, uh, the starting 10th, you know, so right, right off the bat, good starting position, good pit stall selection. Um, basically, you know, it all depends on which line is going to be the better line. Uh, is the high line going to be the better line? Is the low line going to be the better line? Atlanta is the one track that uh, the drivers definitely said, don't pave it, don't pave it, because they want that older track, that older surface. And uh, it makes for good racing because you can see who can handle a loose race car. And uh, the, the only guys, you know, we've got to look out for is um, – <clears throat> Is, is really, I think, Larson is the guy because he showed what he can do on a mile and a half a couple of weeks ago, and he's got the equipment to do it. And, uh, you know, and, and once again, the Penske guys are all going to be up in that top 10 to start too. So his teammates, and he raced really well with his teammates this past week. You know, a lot of people want to say, oh, his teammates. But truthfully, Joey raced him good and hard, but Joey didn't do anything to bump him or move him. And uh, same thing with Brad later on. So his teammates are racing well right now, and they're racing well with each other. Um, I think they all have the same goal of trying to win a race. And uh, I think uh, this week, another top 10, top 5 is very, very, very possible. And speaking of his teammates, one of his teammates specifically, Brad Keselowski, is really, really good at Atlanta. If we're going back to looking at the last five races here at Atlanta Motor Speedway, in 2016, Jimmy Johnson won. He's now retired and moved on. 2017, Brad Keselowski wins. 2018, Kevin Harvick wins. 2019, Brad Keselowski visits victory lane again. And then 2020, that pandemic-delayed race, Kevin Harvick went to victory lane. And I was saying, uh, Atlanta, I said this in, I think, our race preview podcast, Prior to this, in 2011 was the uh, the first race where we only went to Atlanta one time a year. Prior to that, they went twice a year. They even held uh, a NASCAR, uh, not playoff race, a NASCAR all-star race in Atlanta too. But so 2011 to 2020, one race a year. 2021, they're kind of, I think, rewarding Atlanta this year, going back there twice. And as you said, this is a track that really, really worn asphalt on this track they were actually were prepared to pave it at one point until all the drivers said, no, please do not do that. I know at some point they're going to have to, just maintenance-wise. I don't know if they can keep up with it. When they go to Atlanta, they show you the track. And, you know, when you see some cracks and stuff on the, on the the in the pavement on roads, you know, around where you live, and they kind of fill it in with this black rubbery stuff, they do the same thing on these cup tracks. 
And the Atlanta ones, when you look at the gap sometimes, it looks like a you know two, three inches wide that the, some of these cracks that they're filling in uh, where the, the pavement is cracked or separated. So at some point, they're, they're going to have to do some maintenance work and we're going to have to bite the bullet and speeds might be you know just incredibly fast there. So that might be one of the appeals of going back to Atlanta, uh, repaved Atlanta. But um, the character of the track right now is really good. Teammate Brad, Brad Keselowski there is really good. Kevin Harvick, obviously. Those two have won, uh, paired up to win the last four races at Atlanta. So I think it's time for Ryan to show what he has there. Finishes fourth in this last race in 2020. And pretty decent shot for him and Todd Gordon to go there, use some of that notes from last year, and hopefully set themselves up for a good finish. This week, uh, also a uh, little uh, interesting thing's going to happen is a Friday night truck race, Saturday cup race, or Saturday uh, Xfinity race, and I believe Ryan is going to be on both broadcasts uh, this weekend coming up. So uh, tune in Friday night, Saturday afternoon, and uh, watch Ryan in the booth as he uh, comments on those races. And believe it or not, um, these guys get to do that they get to see a little bit of something from a different angle. And I know that uh, Joey probably learned some things from broadcasting last Saturday that he was able to use on Sunday, uh, being in that position, seeing replays um, and literally in that position in a booth up above everything. Um, you're able to see some things you might not normally see from just watching on TV. And I think uh, it's a good thing for Ryan to do this weekend, not just because it's fun and it'll be interesting to hear the different things he says about the different drivers, but uh it might be something that will help them on uh, Sunday day too. So actually one thing that I'm looking at, the, the and I'm remembering this now because as I've, if I haven't talked about it enough, I've gone to several races this year already, and Atlanta was another one that I had circled, but the grandstand tickets did kind of sell out before we made that decision. So my last thing was like, oh, maybe I'll go to the truck and Xfinity races because they are actually on the same day. They're on Saturday, so the truck race isn't on, on Friday. They're both on a Saturday, oh. so it's a doubleheader, which oh. – Makes it even more appealing, and still, who knows, Crazy Adam might pack up early Saturday morning and head for <laughs> head the five hours to Atlanta anyway. But yeah, so Ryan's going to be on the broadcast, and that's probably why it makes it easier for them for him to be in the booth for both races. So you can catch the Camping World Truck Series race at 2.30 p.m. on uh, FS1. I was going to say you can listen to it on the radio, but unfortunately you wouldn't hear Ryan there. And then following the truck race at 5 p.m. Eastern time, the Echo Park 250 Xfinity Series race, also on FS1, where you can catch Ryan. And it's not the first time. Ryan's been in the booth a couple of times uh, with Fox. I don't know if he ever did it with NBC. But he also did it that weekend that he won at uh, Pocono, I believe. His first ever Cup Series victory. Uh, I think he served as a pit reporter one of those days and then... um, I think Brad Keselowski, or he served as a pit reporter when maybe Brad won on somebody had won. And then the next day, I think Brad came in after his, his victory there. And he actually was the pit reporter for him in victory lane, which is kind of funny. So catch those races, 2.30 PM Eastern time on FS1. You can catch Ryan Blaney in the booth. And again, if you want to catch the folds of honor, quick trip 500, you could watch that on Fox at 3 PM Eastern time on Sunday and hopefully it's another exciting race for Ryan Blaney another race if they can put you know back to back to back great races with great stage finishes it's something that this team can really build on in the future and you briefly talked about um, him finishing or him starting in the 10th position having a little bit better pit selection for this week again are you what are your thoughts on NASCAR's 
future overall. I hear a lot of talk radio, some fans saying they don't care about practice and qualifying, some media people saying the same thing, which I think some of them are happy with that because that's, I don't want to say it's all, it's less work that they have to do, but it's, you know, sometimes their their schedules can be intense covering all of these these on-track activities. Me personally, I think qualifying is important. I hear, you know, some of the, maybe this is one of those times where I do agree with some of the old school people where, you know, I hear a driver like Mark Martin when they're talking about their career, you know, I got, you know, X amount of poles, you know, our car was fast enough to sit on a pole. You hear Daryl Waltrip talking about, you know, an old Bristol race or old, you know, Richmond race, you know, I was on the pole that day. Like, that's something that those guys really cared about. And even going back to Dave's career, you know, Dave sat on a limited number of poles, but that was huge for us as fans when they would do that. So I'm, I know this current version saving teams a lot of money. I'm of the mind that it's already an expensive sport and they have to, if they have to bring one backup car with them, I think they should, you know, should get a limited amount of practice in the future, you know, post pandemic, everything's back to normal again. And I think qualifying should come back, even though if you are a very consistent driver, you'd start in the top 10 every week. In the, under this current mathematic formula that they use. What are your thoughts? I think next year they kind of have to. They're forced into it where, um, you know, they're going to be with the new generation car and so forth. So they're kind of forced into having to have some practices and having qualifyings. But truthfully, I can take it or leave it, to tell you the truth. Um, maybe they could do a thing where um, they do one practice, get an hour of practice, and then they take your fastest lap in the practice. So basically, everybody kind of sorts it out, and they make sure that somewhere within the practice, they run a qualifying lap, you know, and then those cars get teched afterward, and then that's it. They lock them down. So nobody cheats, basically, to get that good qualifying lap, and then that's it. Because I, I don't know, I just, I really like the way it ended up being shaking down last year, and I really kind of think continuing forward is, as long as they have a notebook on all the different tracks, um, I think they've got everything they need. Now, like I said, next year is a new generation car, so they're going to have a brand new notebook and a brand new way of doing things. Um, but I could kind of like, I, I kind of like it the way it is right now. You know, go to a new track you haven't been to, then yeah, we'll have some practice just to make sure nobody, you know, has a mistake. I guess that's a really point, good point that that next year they really don't have a choice. I know they've talked about potentially maybe the second time, I mean, this is all, you know, just speculation, but the second time that these guys go back to a track next year with a new car, maybe practice is a little bit more limited. I don't know what it is. It's the young, youngish old school fan (laughs) in me that, that I don't know. I really liked watching qualifying for some reason, for some reason, it's just like, you know, it's just one of those memories of coming home from school on a Friday and then tuning into afternoon practice and, and qualifying and, as a young fan, you learned a lot. I think maybe that was part of it was that I didn't know that much about NASCAR all the way back in 2001 when I first started watching the races. So when you tuned into qualifying, the commentators, it was almost like, you know, just a, a master class and what's happening, why the cars are going fast, why what's trimmed out mean. Um, I think it's just an opportunity for people to learn. But also, you know, that's 20 years ago now. So the, the sport has evolved. I'm not saying anything that they've done this year or last year didn't work. It's all worked out fine. The races have been fine. I don't think it's been detrimental. But for some reason, I think the pole award still means something, and I'm hoping they at least get back to qualifying, and that's it. Qualifying ended up having way too many problems. Um, 
okay, so let's say they do a blind draw of, of your qualifying position you, and you go out there and uh, uh, a cloud rolls over at the wrong time, right? And, you know, this happened to Dave down at yeah. Bristol years and years ago. Dave is on the pole. There's five more guys to go. A cloud comes over the track. One of the two of those guys beat him in speed. Were those cars actually really faster than Dave's car that day? Maybe, maybe the cloud cover cover uh, cooled the track just enough to give them a little more grip, you know. So you get that situation. Then you know they tried to do this qualifying thing where they did it in uh, with a you know ten minutes and five minutes and all that, and guys all gamed the system. They figured out a way to just go out at once and one time, or you know tried to keep them from drafting with each other and stuff like that. So there's all these different things that end up just not necessarily making it that big of a deal because if Ryan, like this is weekend for an example, if Ryan goes out late in the qualifying session and the track is cooled by five degrees from, from uh, somebody like uh, Logano and Logano's car was faster in practice, but Ryan wins the pole. Well, why did, you know, Logano was faster in practice by two tenths, but Ryan went out the right time. You know, and, and too many of those things start happening, uh, the, and they're that close. That's the funny part is the cars are that close in speed that something like a little bit of weather, <laughs> a wind down the backstretch at the wrong time or right time, you know, any of those things seem to happen, and it seemed to happen a lot. And, you know, a guy gets the pole or doesn't get the pole based on, you know, not because he was a better driver, but because the weather affected it or something like that, you know, and it's just kind of, it kind of made it sour, uh, you know, for, you know, different things. And like I said, then they tried to do the thing where everybody went out in groups, you know, in a time period. So everybody was under the same conditions, but then they figured out a way around that too. So, uh, you know, and that was unfortunate. That was one of those things that group qualifying for the first few races I thought was awesome. And then the crew chiefs got involved because <laughs> if you get crew chiefs, are always thinking about strategy. And then you yeah. see these guys playing chicken on pit road all the way to where there were some races there toward the end before they pulled the plug on it, that no one was going out. I think Austin Dillon sat on a pole because nobody went out in the last, uh, the last round of qualifying. So they found Ryan, a way to ruin it with strategy, but what are you going to do? Ryan in the truck series at Michigan. And they're in the final thing of the qualifying and everybody's sitting on pit road and they know exactly how long it takes to get around the track to start the qualifying lap. And they, Ryan, and they're playing chicken and Ryan pulls out and then the other guys jump, but they jump too late. Ryan gets to the line before the qualifying period ends. The next truck behind him does not. Ryan runs one of the longest, slowest qualifying laps for the pole in the history of the truck series <laughs> because they told him by coming yep. around turn two to back it down. He already, he already got the pole and, and it was just this whole thing of chicken on pit road that they did. And it's just, yeah, just too many things like that. So we're not <laughs> although, sure. Although we, you know, he got, he got the pole, so we're happy, but. Yeah, you're happy when things like that work out in your favor, but we don't know what's going to happen with practice and qualifying next year. Obviously there might be some sort of practice practice. But one thing that we do know, Steve, is that for some reason, you've always been pretty good at it when it's come to some of these other uh, fantasy games that we've played, but you have turned into a NASCAR Fantasy Live pro at this point. I said you were rocketing up the leaderboard last week, but you have truly rocketed up to the almost the top of the standings in the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. So I think let's go ahead and recap some of our fantasy picks 
from this past week. I will admittedly say that I was a little preoccupied, I guess, throughout the week. I kept putting off putting my picks in, and I just got them in probably within about 15 minutes of the start of the race. Um, so, but this was one of those weeks, and I, they talked about this on TV just in general as far as the drivers go. This is a week where there really weren't any surprises in the top 10 or even really the top 15. So if you were somebody that was doing a little bit of load management and you're putting some of those folks in your in your lineup this week, maybe you didn't do so well. But if you put most of your of the heavy hitters that are that run well at Phoenix or just are in the top 10 in points right now, you did pretty well. And I feel like that's something that Steve did this past week. But even for me, I had my starting lineup was Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Larson. I had Kevin Harvick in the garage. I really considered bringing him out of the garage at one point, and I'm kind of kicking myself a little bit that I didn't replace him, Kyle Busch, with uh, Kevin Harvick in my final lineup, but didn't pull the trigger, and then it was too late after the end of the second stage. So, But overall, I thought I had a, a decent week. I had 201 points, I think, that I earned. Um, my bonus picks, I had picked Brad as the race winner. That didn't work out. He finished fourth. I had Chase Elliott as the top Chevrolet. That worked out. He finished uh, first of the Chevrolets. I had Joey Logano as a top four, the top four. So that was another uh, five bonus points for me. I had Denny Hamlin as a top Toyota. That didn't work out because Truex obviously went on to win the race. And then this is where I really kind of messed up here. I had Chevrolet as the winning manufacturer, mainly based on the Hendrick Motorsports team dominating the last few weeks. I thought that they would, especially with Chase winning the championship race in the fall. That didn't work out because I had Chevrolet as a top manufacturer and Hendrick as a top team. Those ended up with goose eggs as far as the bonus picks go for me. But Steve, on the other hand, as I said, rocketed up the leaderboard, had a huge week, scored the most points out of anybody in the league with, I think, 268 overall points at Phoenix. Steve, what were your keys to success this week at Phoenix Raceway in the NASCAR Fantasy Live League? Um, I, I guess I'd rather be lucky than good. Um <laughs> The bonus, the, the bonus points at the end, I think, was the big thing because I had Toyota as the winning manufacturer and I had Gibbs as the winning team, and those both, uh, you know, uh, panned out. I had Chase Elliott as the top Chevrolet too, so I had all those, those guys in the key spots, and then, uh, you know, Denny, Martin, Ryan, Logano, Keselowski as the, as the five guys, and uh, Logano and Ryan and Keselowski, Truex. I mean, they all scored forty plus points, you know, forty eight, forty nine. 49, 54, 43 points, you know, uh, tons of stage points from those guys and, and tons of points overall. So, um, you know, is it going to be like that every week? Well, probably not. I mean, at some point I've used Denny five times already, you know, and I'm going to have to back off of that and find somebody else at some point, you know, I've only used uh, Logano once or twice or Brad once or twice. So now I might use them a little more, but, uh, yeah, it, it's going to, you know, sooner or later, it's going to bite me. I'm sure that uh, using those guys too much, and I have to use somebody else that's just not as good. You know, but so far, so good. Yeah, it's one of the things. Like I said, you got to think about load management. As you said you've already used Denny five times. That's half of his uses for the year for you because you pretty much can only use them, or at least until the playoffs start. You can use guys uh, ten times, so you have to think about that and really. I mean, it didn't work out for me, so I mean, I'm not necessarily one to talk. I didn't score that that many points this past week, but had a decent week. 
looking at the overall standings for the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League, which again, you can join in on this league at any time throughout the year. It's never too late to sign up, and you can probably still get enough points by the end of the year to make things interesting. Some new faces, or new names at least, into the top 10 in the league. In the first position, we have Doug K0525 leading the way with 992 points. And that's a pretty substantial lead over the second place, Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing, who also is climbing up in the standings with 967 points. Then we have your favorite podcast co-host, Steve Mez12, with 951 points in third position. In fourth, we have Moon Cup. In fifth, we have Blaney's Daisy. In sixth, we have Team Penske with 935 points. In seventh, we have Rogue Tough. In 8th, we have the Dalai Lama 4. I didn't know the Dalai Lama was a big fan, but good to see them participating in the in the Fantasy League. And then we have three people tied in the ninth position at Roche, Roshi 12, Rocky 12. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. With 899 points. And the other two people tied for ninth are Dusty Hawk 90 and Joe Lopez 1. So, again, sign up for the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League. Just something that keeps things in keeps things interesting throughout the week you can kind of win some bragging rights among the team blaney fans and ryan blaney fans if you join the league plus you can compete compete against steve and myself steve's handle on here is mez12 mine is you'll have to keep scrolling all the way down i mean if your phone will even let you go as far down to 42nd and the team blaney admin was 767 points so i am a, a couple hundred points away from where Steve's at all the way at the top of the standing. So I have some work to do, but what I'm hoping is that with all the load management that I've been using so far this season, except for this past race, I did have mostly heavy hitters in it that I can eventually climb my way just like Ryan and the 12 team has out of this points deficit that I'm in right now and at least have a respectable finish um, in the playoffs at the end of the year. All right, Steve. So I think that's pretty much going to wrap things up. For this edition of the Team Blaney podcast, again, make sure you tune in this weekend as the Cup Series heads to Atlanta Motor Speedway, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. But for now, thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about myself or co-host Steve, please listen to our very first episode of the podcast that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. If you'd like to interact with us a little bit, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter at Team Blaney and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Team Blaney. And don't forget to also download, rate, and subscribe to this Team Blaney podcast on the Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, podcast apps you can also find us on Acast, which is our host we're always putting those links up on our social media accounts to where you can subscribe to the podcast and listen to us every week now we are still waiting for word on the blaney bunch this old school style fan club that the ryan blaney family foundation is putting together once we know the details on that we're going to go ahead and share them with you you can check out the ryan blaney family foundation which was established in 2018 and supports causes that have closely impacted the blaney family including the alzheimer's association and upmc sports medicine you can find out more about it on its website ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org or on twitter at rbfamfoundation and then finally on facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation so for my co-host steve mez i'm adam rogers we'll catch you next time on the team blaney podcast